Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to PTA Parting the Atlantic episode. Uh, we're within the first 10 episodes still. Well, it's not Parting the Atlantic, it's Parted the Atlantic, because we actually kind of did. Yes, today we are meeting in person on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, 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 we've, we've been talking about it for a couple weeks, we finally made it happen. Yes, and... For some reason, we could not find the t- space, motivation, to come together and uh, record as regularly as we were when we were long distance. We weren't recording regularly when we were long distance, let's be honest. Yeah, but we were doing way better. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I, I felt like it was normal enough for us to go a month without... That's true. That's true. We both just got back from weekend trips... I went to Czech Republic, I went to Budweiss, so exciting. I, I, I keep meaning to ask, is any relation to Budweiser the beer? Are you serious? I have no idea. <laughs> yes, it, it's the like sort of original Budweiser beer. Not the American version, but the originals from there. Fun. And they were just having a um, kind of new version of the beer come out called, yeah. I think, Budvar. 33 um and it's like from this very bitter hop called a budvar and uh, i was talking to my dad about it and he was saying that doesn't sound like a beer i would drink <laughs> but i don't drink anyway yeah and neither do you except for you also took a weekend yeah trip. i took a weekend I, I i have a friend up in dresden uh northern germany and i i went to i went to visit him and i was we were, we were going to go on a hike in a national forest, and he was like, oh, something, 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 Prague. I'm like, oh, you know this place in Prague? And I was like, I've never been to Prague. He's like, oh, we should go. He's like, okay. So we rented a car. We drove to Prague, spent a couple days. He peer pressured me into trying uh, a, a, a Pilsner. But you had wanted to try beer for a long time. Yeah, I mean, because I... And you're I, of age, by the way. Yes, I, 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 I am fully fully legal. I am not flying in the next eight hours. Um, but yeah, because I, I tried wine. And I was, you know, eh. So people were like, oh, you should try beer. Because my gripe with wine is I just don't like the taste of alcohol. So people were like, oh, you should try beer because there's less alcohol in it. So I tried beer. It's still not my favorite thing in the world, but... Eh. Yeah, we both don't drink pretty much at all. Yeah. Yes, I went to a wine tasting once in Melbourne, and I liked it, actually. It was uh, really interesting. I have an alcohol allergy. I should say this just to start off. My father is of uh, Southeast Asian origin, so he uh, there's just a higher potential for people in my family to have a an alcohol allergy because of that um neither of us do very well with gluten at all so beer is kind of a hard like discussion <laughs> slash topic yeah yeah um but yeah it's um very very small like microdose amounts like i'm talking like a sip of each of the ones of the wine tasting 
um, was about as much as I could do, but thankfully it was a wine and chocolate tasting, so I didn't miss out on everything. Yeah. But I actually kind of like being the designated driver in some ways because you, you kind of have, like, the sense that, like, at least for me, I like having fun without needing to add the inebriation. Also, when you're the driver, you have all the power of being the driver. <laughs> you, you're the, where, where, where the car and everyone goes in it depends on you. Well, somebody told me... Just as a joke, they were like, oh my gosh, like, you must like being the designated driver because you know everybody's secrets yeah, <laughs> after yeah. the end of the night. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we should talk about something else with a lot of alcohol in it. <laughs> what? The Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, for that. Uh, hey, listen, Jesus' first miracle is turning water into wine, so what do you want? Okay, well... There's plenty uh, of wine in the Bible. Yeah, but wine had a different purpose back then because it was used for like water purification purposes hey, I, I didn't say anything about purpose it's just alcohol okay <laughs> there's a lot of alcohol in the Bible okay well that was a very curious segue thank you oh yeah Gotta have a little personality. Keep the, keep the listeners are you learning for that the segue game from Caleb Hammer <laughs> oh yeah Let's talk about our four chapters for today. Jonah, one through four, we're just doing the whole book of Jonah in one episode. Is this the shortest book of the Bible? Um, what is the shortest? Good question. Can I look it up? I want to know what the shortest book of the Bible is. Yes, this is possibly the, I mean, I think it would depend on chapter count versus word count, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, these chapters aren't long either. Yeah, I feel like I always, like, I'm gravitated to Job with this question. What about, like, Malachi or, like, Kings, though? Ob- Obadiah. Yes, Obadiah. Okay. This uh, one of the twelve minor prophets in the final section of the Nephilim, the second main division of the Hebrew Bible. The text consists of a single chapter divided into 21 verses making it the shortest book in the Hebrew Bible. There you go. Uh, that source is Wikipedia. Yeah, so, well, let's see. And then by word count, it's a different story. Yeah, it's, it's slightly different by word count, but... This might be a rabbit hole for me to go to go down on my own time. Yeah, like 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Obadiah, Jude... Uh, Jude, yeah. All short books. I felt like Malachi was really short when I read it. Okay, hold on. That sort of says one book of a 21 verses. Third John is one book, 15 verses. Well, Wikipedia, I was told as a middle school child never to trust Wikipedia. So, I'm not sure why well, you trust Wikipedia, John. This one says the shortest book of the Hebrew Bible, though, which is an important caveat, because Third John isn't in the Hebrew Bible. That's actually true. Yeah, that's true. So maybe um, sh- shortest book in the Old Testament is Obadiah, in the New well, Testament. The Hebrew Bible. I think it's technically a distinction. Well, yes, yes. They're two different texts. There's parts of the Hebrew Bible, if you don't know this, as, you know, a Christian, we don't learn a lot about the inter, uh, intersections between religions. 
Um, but there are a couple additional parts to the Hebrew Bible, including a couple of like new books that are not recognized in the Christian tradition. Uh, as with the Catholic Bible. Yeah, the Catholic. I think the Catholic has extra books. Like they have a couple extra prophets or something. There's an extra female prophet, I think. Well, yeah. I forget like what the name of the female prophet is. I think it might be like Rosa or something. I, I the Catholic. This is a separate discussion, but the Catholic Church's view on gender, when you really think about it, of who can be priests and who can't, is whack. Why? Well, because uh, well, I, I had a teacher in high school that told us this. I went to a Jesuit high school, and they were like, the reason, someone asked, like, why, can, why can't women be priests? And the answer was that only men were disciples in the Bible, and therefore only men can have the priestly role of being a disciple of Jesus in that sense. But when you really think, like, cool, but also when you, like, think about, like, the social structure. First of all, Mary Magdalene. I think very overtly a disciple. That's what I was going to say is like, even though like the sort of like, you know, the 12 all-stars are completely, you know, consistently um, named in the Bible. Um, Mary Magdalene, there's no evidence that she was or wasn't, you know, uh, one of that traveling like core group and she certainly contributed to many key instances i also think there's a solid chance that the women that were among the traveling core group just were omitted from the bible considering the social mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. constructs of the time well we were talking about this um several weeks ago whether jesus had a wife yeah the, 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 I, I don't know if like a wife but there's evidence there's like a document that suggests he very well may have been in a romantic relationship of some sort, and people debate that there's no firm idea on whether he had a kid. Like we just have no idea. People say that he is that he did, but the evidence that we have is kind of circumstantial, so we can't really know about that. I mean, it's and it's kind of detracts from the point, right, of his life. It's like you know we learn everything we need to know from his life in the yeah. Bible, and you know. It would be wonderful if we could learn more, you know, to imitate from him. Because we only have, for instance, a couple of key moments during his childhood. Like, I would have loved to have figured out or to have learned about how Jesus was like as a child. Yeah. What he was like as a child. Yeah. Religions, regardless of whether or not you actually believe anything, religion's fascinating. That's true. It's It's this, like amazing and beautiful intersection of history and then you know belief and there's a lot of mysticism and miracles and yeah. especially in the early you know mm, traditions of religion but also later on yeah you know even today people say like oh that was a miracle of god yeah also the u.s being so like oh like separation of circum of church and state and then also like you know, we print in God we trust on our money. Yeah. And, you know, there, there, there's a whole thing about Trump being, uh, you know, the chosen chosen by God to lead the country. Cause really? Yeah, did not hear about this? Because he was yeah. such an outsider. And there was a whole thing about, like, oh, he was chosen by God to come in and clear 
the U.S. government of all these corrupt politicians and set the country back on the right course. I mean, like, but so was Ronald Reagan, and, like, there are so many outliers that we've had as presidents that have made a big impact, whether positive yeah. or negative. I mean, Trump is an, it's his own social phenomenon, and it's its own right. There are, like, plenty of factors that go into it, but I, you know, oh I think gosh. it's interesting. We had a whole discussion about Jimmy Carter. Uh, when we paused, but that's a discussion for another time. Anyway, Jonah. 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 Four chapters, uh, nice, br easy breezy read. Yeah. Uh, I read this for like a personal Bible club a couple weeks ago. John read this for a class recently. What did you learn in your class? Uh, I mean, the, the, the big takeaway that I kept running from the class is kind of the last couple verses uh, where God imparts like the big lesson of the of the chapter um, it's not so this of the chapter is pretty much like God tells Jonah a prophet to go to a city and tell them to get their act together and Jonah says no try sailing away which causes a big storm because guy gets mad Jonah's thrown overboard swallowed by a fish and then once he prays for forgiveness, he's pooped out the other side. No, he's not pooped out. Yeah, I thought he said he's pooped out. What did you say? I thought that the, it says that the fish released him. Maybe. <laughs> yes, let's look at the nomenclature here. I'm, I'm, I'm curious now. Now I'm Bible Gateway, I do not want you to dictate this chapter. Either way, it might not matter. Bible but, Gateway, a great resource, BibleGateway.com. We'll put that in the uh, description for this episode. Uh, he was um, he was vomited out. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, he definitely didn't come out the other side. He wasn't digested. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Um, so yeah, he's released from the fish. God uh, like, alright, you're going to go to the city anyway and tell them the same message. So he does. City gets his act together. King orders everyone to follow what God has said. God releases them from the punishment. Jonah gets mad and he pretty much says like, you know, I'm mad that the the the, the gist of what he tells God is like, you know, I look like a fool now because you told me to foretell this, and then you know, they responded the right way and you were nice to them and I knew that's what you were going to do anyway. If they responded well, so like, <laughs> now I look like an idiot. And then, God, uh, God basically... <laughs> makes a plant grow. Like, Jonah goes kind of outside the city and he's kind of like having this discussion with God about what has transpired in the city because especially the leader of the city was very receptive to what Jonah had to say as a prophet of God. He ordered everybody to have like sackcloth including the animals and they were all fasting. They were really being obedient to the Lord in the circumstances and in the tradition of the time. And God makes a plant grow over <laughs> Jonah's head mm. And it kind of shades him. It's this kind of like peaceful, almost domestic scene in my mind. But overnight, God also gives a worm <laughs> to this scene and the worm destroys the plant overnight. It's so hot the next day with this like blazing wind that Jonah 
wants to die. He's basically being a big baby, is what's happening. And um, then God imparts the final lesson of the book. The final lesson of the book, because the, the, the thing that we, at least with this verse in particular that we got to, was like, it's kind of a, it doesn't line up perfectly. Like what God says about the plant versus what God says about the town, because God kind of says, because you know, Jonah gets mad about the plant. He's like, I'm so hot, I have no shade. And God's like, well, yeah, because you didn't, you know, I gave you the plant, you didn't water it, you didn't care for it, you didn't do anything. And then, you know, then God says, like, just the same, I protect the city. Which is kind of, you know, it's kind of like, there's a little discontinuity there, right? Because God's like, Oh, well, I guess, you know, thinking about it, it's kind of like, you know, God saying, like, oh, these people cared for what I gave them when yeah. they realized what was going on, and so then they got to flourish. But the point is, it, it, it doesn't have any bearing on Jonah at all, because, you know, Jonah's the one yeah. complaining, like, you know, it, it, it's not like you're drawing a parallel between, like, you know, if you had watered the plant that would have grown. There, there, there's not really a one-to-one -one lesson that Jonah specifically learns. It's more of a lesson that the reader learns of kind of like, you know, see what happens, you know, when you actually are, when you kind of give life to things and when you admit your mistakes and when you kind of give things energy and power and see what happens when you don't. I disagree with that. I think that there's a couple direct, like, one-to-one -one applications for Jonah here. The first one is very similar to the lesson that Job learns, which is, like, the way that you see things is not the perspective of the entire world, nor is it my perspective. So it's kind of, it's not a belittlement of Jonah, but it's a way um, to impart the message of hey, you know, I'm literally the creator of the universe and you are just one entity with one very blinding perspective within that universe. Like, how could you ever know all of the considerations that I take into account? Um, and, you know, in that same way, Jonah's kind of, his emotional and immediate reactions, not only to the city, but also to this little plant <laughs> that he has become so fond of, um, communicate that same level of, you know, short-sightedness that Job had in his circumstances. Um, and then, secondly, I think that it is this message of what is Jonah's role in general here. So it's not only a perspective shift for him, but it's also a, you know, a restatement of his role. Jonah's role is not to take care of the plant. Like, that's not the goal of God's message, I don't think. Jonah's role is to follow God's instructions and his way of life, no matter whether the plant is growing or not. And I think that's something that, you know, obviously, like, <laughs> John and I are not uh, ancient prophets, <laughs> but there's also oftentimes, like, a very direct relationship from, you know, these characters who are very relatable in the Bible to our own lives. So, you know, it's not a one-to-one, -one, like John was saying, um, you know, nor is God's message a one-to-one -to, -one to Jonah's life, but I think that there are a couple, like, direct associations that God is making. 
Yeah. I, I was just rereading the verse again, and I, th- I think one of the interesting things that I somehow didn't pick up is, I also think it's, you know, Jonah's kind of like upset about this plant, and the last thing that got us to was, <laughs> you know, you didn't have care for this one little thing, mm-hmm. and shouldn't I have, you know, the... For uh, Jonah 4, verse 11, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I don't know what the cannot tell the right hand from their left comment means. Like, is he just insulting them, or like, what's the... Oh, no, it's, um, it's God's way in the Old Testament of showing that they're not obedient and they're not wise. So not being able to tell your right hand from your left is like, you know, it's obviously, it's not like a rose, but it's, uh, it is kind of a rose. Like, yeah. he's not saying they're dumb. He's saying that they have lost their way. Yeah. But, you know, point being, kind of like, God's like, well, <laughs> Jonah says, like, how could you do this to me? Make me look like an idiot. And God's like, well, you know, it's 120,000 people. Well, like, why don't you care about making sure that they end up all right? Like, as long as... As long as they're not just completely destructive, like, I, you know, I'm going to look out for them. Why is Jonah such a toddler? No offense to him. <laughs> he, he is throughout the whole book, like, even, even at the start. I, I, I think this scene with the, with the boat on the, on the water when everyone gets caught in a storm because of Jonah is also fascinating, but... Because even, he falls asleep. Yeah, no, not, I mean, not even that. Just because, like, you know, everyone's... I, I think the reference to multiple gods in this is still a fascinating thing to consider in the scheme of the Old Testament and Uh what that means about religion but also at the same time there's just a lot in that first chapter about the dynamic between all those different gods and all those different gods versus a god like god god Mm -hmm. and like the relationship with that but that's not the point everyone is out you know to their gods trying to make this work out and Jonah's just trying you know here he is he knows he's the one that's just causing the issue he's like I'm just gonna sleep now and ignore my problems or God sends him to sleep you know it's kind of hard to tell in these um especially in the old testament sometimes like what is like everything is God God's actions but you know how much direct like influence or like message from the influence does God want to impart with Jonah falling asleep, for example? Yeah. But you know, he, I mean, he's just kind of. I, I I think at one point like the ship captain's like, "Well, you prayed your God." He's like, "Yeah, it's my fault. Leave me alone now." He's just kind of like. <laughs> he's like, "Throw me overboard. That'll solve your problems." And then everybody just, like yeah. instantly converts. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, he's he's just kind of like a moody kid throwing a tantrum the whole book. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Like normally prophets are a little bit like wiser. Yeah, a little more eloquent. Yeah. But no, he's, I mean, also, you know, people, I, th- I think it's, if you really think about it, anyone can be a prophet, you know? Anyone right. can be chosen, like, right. I, I, we, I took a class with one of our favorite professors that we both had oh, um, yes. different classes from, and, uh, about sainthood in Christianity. And at one point we got to the, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before. Probably. But at one point we got to the question of like, what, you know, what does it mean for us to be a saint? Because we're reading all these stories about people who die 
right. for Christianity and people who, you know, like, 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 like rich people who literally do sell all their belongings, put on a robe, go build a hut in a forest and just do that for 40 years. Well, and like, you know, from a modern perspective, like for example, Dave Ramsey, he has three kids. He has two daughters and a son, I think, right? And I, I'm pretty sure there might be four, but he at least has one daughter, Rachel Cruz. But she was saying in one of their talks that um, they all had the possibility to save up, you know, X amount of money for a car. And so the parents, once these kids, you know, worked during high school or whatever, wanted to buy their first car, the parents would match whatever money they saved. So if they saved a grand, then the parents would match and they would have a $2,000 car at their availability without any debt. And so, you know, each kid, of course, the oldest kid got uh, the short end of the stick in some ways because they didn't have as much time to save up. So, you know, let's just say as an example, like the first kid was able to save five grand, you know, $10,000 car. Second kid was able to save six grand, $12,000 car. The third kid, he had a ton of money, like he had like $10,000. Um, and he ended up uh, donating all of it after a mission trip. Um, and, you know, some people are called to do that. That is the call that God places on their life. That's where they feel they can make the most impact. And, you know, it's certainly mathematically at his age, you know, 17, 18, didn't make sense mathematically. I'll just say that as a, you know, in terms of a pure, like 100% mathematical perspective in terms of compound growth and all that. Um, because if he had invested that, he could have given 10 times as much later. Um, but at the same time, you know, having that call on his life, I'm thinking maybe spiritually and psychologically, he wouldn't have done as well financially had he not have given everything. Yeah, but you know, on the other end of it too, not everyone is, which right. is fine. Because, you know, I mean, everyone has their, their own way of, of, of respecting God and honoring God. You know, for some people it's 10 grand or 100 million. For some people it's you know, more about giving time, talent versus treasure. And I think this, you know, Jonah, I think, is equally a good representation of that. You know, some people are, you know, Thomas Aquinas and yeah. dedicate their whole lives to God and just drop everything to follow God. And some people are Jonah, who are like, why do I have to do this? Why are you making me handle this? And God can still work through them and God can still have benefit from these, you know, like from, doesn't matter if you're the most pious, wonderful person, God, or, you know, some yeah. person who's going to, you know, is moody or gets blown aside or, you know, whatever flaw you feel you have, that doesn't mean that you're some untouchable, irrelevant person. God can still use that and God still made you in a certain way to be able to be used in a certain way. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think one thing that's been really on my mind lately is that, um, you know, my pastor, especially Irwin, Raphael McManus, Mosaic Church, a great church uh, I attend online, um, but he does so well with, as soon as you get to know him, whether you know he's a pastor or not, because he has a lot of other, you know, business affairs that are kind of separate from his pastoral role, 
um, as soon as you get to know him, you know that he's a Christian. Um, and that's something that's been on my mind a lot lately is a lot of times in modern society, especially with people our age or in our generation, um, to thematize religion, especially when you don't know whether the person you're talking to is safe, it can be pretty dangerous, it can socially isolate you. Um, I've been assaulted on the street, not physically but verbally, for wearing a cross um, in America, not in Germany. Um, you know, so it's, it's a really complicated and I think scary theme, especially for, uh, I'm speaking from my perspective as a young woman. Um, and yeah, but I think that's something I can do better at overall is making my faith clear. Um, you know, if not through directly saying, you know, like my accomplishments are Jesus working through my life or, you know, my like warmth or whatever I'm able to show that's good is coming from him and not from me. Um, whether it's that or whether it's just through doing amazing work and giving back and giving thanks uh, in an open way, I think that's something that I've been called to do better at lately. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Bible really is just kind of, Jonah is far from the only person in the Bible that complains about having to follow God or be righteous, and it's far from the only person that isn't completely yeah. pious, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's, <laughs> with Jesus, even especially, like, people will look at Jesus and they'll say, like, oh, look at this guy that's so perfect. <laughs> And there's all this stuff right, which is great, yeah, which is right. But at the same time, like, you know, Jesus, soon before his death, like, you know, Jesus stumbles across all these, like, merchants in a temple selling stuff. When he, like, gets so angry, he just throws stuff and kind of makes a mess and, like, causes a whole ruckus in the Bible. Right. Because, you know, which is, like... <laughs> Even people acting through God are, you know... Are kinda, human. Yeah. They're human. You know, they're, you know, like, you don't have to be some perfect, ideologically superior, perfectly calm, perfectly pious, perfectly righteous person all the time, every second, to still follow God. And you don't have to always have 100% certainty about God to follow Him. Yeah. I think that's one of the... Um, disastrous misconceptions about religion is that everybody who believes is a hundred percent there all the time. I think that it's impossible for belief to exist without a measure of doubt. Um, and you know, doubt is something and a relationship with doubt is something that I think has been instrumental to my own relationship with, uh, Christianity. Yeah. And yeah, I would just, I would kind of challenge that societal misconception that, belief is this one-sided, 100% uh, presence. It's really yeah. not, at least not in my experience. Yeah. So what about for you, John? How, how does God work through you? You know what? When I, 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 I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but I went to a, um, a Jesuit high school and the thing that they always say is there are three things, the three T's, you know, these, that yeah. you need to give to God. It's your time, your talent, your treasure. Interesting. 
Um, so, you know, that, that, you know, time, but the, you know, treasure, like easy treasure is like money, you know, like make a donation to the church every week or whatever. It could also be just things that you value, like potential yeah, idols I mean, for you. Regardless, but you know, money or, you know, whatever, you know, like maybe you rent your car out every once in a while right. to, 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 to kind of help people do things. For the church or, yeah. Yeah, you know, kind of giving up your time and having the things that you're good at. Yeah. That, that, you know, that, that God has kind of given you as a person, you know, use it and give a little bit of a back. And I, you know, I, I think one, there, there's a, I think I've told you about this a couple of times, but there's, you know, for example, an organization, I, I'm a pilot, I fly planes. There's an um, organization that I'm really passionate about that's called Lifeline Pilots. And I, th I think it's a Midwest thing, but there's similar things kind of across the country where people like who like need medical care who can't you know like need to get to medical care like far away and can't take can't drive can't take commercial flights or whatever volunteer pilots will go up in their own aircraft and they'll fly them to medical treatment which is i think it's the coolest thing in the world yeah. um Cess i think uh, the the company that owns cessna aircraft a couple years ago had um, a partnership with the Special Olympics where they had all these Cessna jets volunteered to fly like the all-star teams from all 50 states to like the National Special Olympics or something. Yeah. Which, I, I you know, I've, at least for me, it's a great way to use the, the, the talent that I have and the passion that I have to, to make pe people's lives easier and better, you know? Just, yeah, definitely. I think it's, I mean, you know, time and time, time and treasure, I think, are fairly straightforward. That's, you know, volunteering and making time for, you know, for church or for prayer or something every every now and again. And, and you yeah, got just kind of being cognizant of how I'm using what I have. But, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the time, talent, treasure is a good, great foundation of what should I be doing to... Yeah, give a little bit back to God and give a little bit back to the church and try to make the world that much of a better place. And with that, I think that's a good closing point for this episode. Do you have any last words, John? Um, you know, I it, it didn't occur to me before just how moody Jonah is, but I think it the the the, the more I think about the Bible, the more I'm like, yeah, like there's a lot <laughs> more in the Bible that, you know, that, uh, there's a lot more humanness in the Bible that I, that I realized, you know, yeah. I, I mean, not even just being moody or being human or Jesus getting mad and that, but also like, you know, people, people always say like, oh, like there's so much it, like evil in the Bible. Well, yes. But at the same time, you know, that, I don't think the point of the evil being in there is to go against Christianity right away. Yeah. You can also kind of say, like, you know, yes, there is evil in the world. This is what it looks like. This is what God's role in it is. And, we, you know, if you don't just take it at face value, you can kind of dig into it a little and see how all the relationships play out. And Well, it's the same thing about belief and doubt. You have to have a dichotomy in order for one of the other categories to yeah. exist. That's my view. Yeah. Like, I think if there was only good in the world or only good in the Bible, it would be unrealistic. 
that's part of I think that is part of what makes the Bible accessible to us at least to me I can at least speak for yeah. myself but you know those moments of inconsistency in humanity those moments of um, just absolute rock bottom those moments of doubt those moments of uh, pain you know that's, those are the little touch points the keystones that are just so infinitely relatable um, and that's one of the things that that comes to mind when I think of why the Bible has sustained, yeah. you know, so, throughout so much time. I have a lot to say about the Bible. We should record these more often. <laughs> I also have a lot to say about the Bible, and I think that our listeners would agree. We get a ton of downloads every time yeah. we post a PTA. So with that, we're going to end the episode. This episode was not sponsored by any of the organi- organizations that we mentioned. Um, This was Jonah chapters 1 through 4, and we will see you very soon on Parting the Atlantic, or at the very least, on the book album. Bye. Bye. I love you. I love you.